What's up? You're like, the 90s call, they want their greeting back. All right, hey, good to be with you this morning. Welcome to Redemption Church. Welcome to our current summer series, Digging Out. And today we are going to be diving into digging out a failure. That is the topic of the day. But before we get underway with that, uh, instead of talking about fa- failure, uh, I'm going to talk about success, or at least a current success that is going on within Redemption Church right now that's very exciting. Uh, if you were with us last week, we talked about the building program and that we're beginning to really move forward on some stuff, and so we're being very prayerful in this. But we're also putting out to all of us kind of this generosity matching opportunity where we want to match generosity for generosity. And so Uh, Over the next series of weeks, we're seeking to raise $750,000 up to October 1st. That kind of insulates us, gives us a rainy day fund to do what we're wanting to do uh, down on Main Street, so that's very exciting. But we also want you to be aware of kind of keeping track with how that is going. And so if you do not have our app, you are able to download that by simply going to whatever your app store is, type in Redemption Church Duval, and you can find it right there. Uh, But in the app, we have a brand new tile toward the bottom here and it's the 750k goal right so that's the target we're shooting for if you tap on that it'll give you a real-time update of where we're at in that current trend Uh, and then from that there's also an opportunity where you could click on that if you want to be a part of this generosity campaign but as of today we launched this about a week and a half ago and we've already raised $92,000 so that's a huge deal very cool 12% of the way there and as I shared last week there was a family in the church that's already come forward and said whatever they're the difference is if there's a difference at all we're going to make up that difference and so they've given us as leaders the flexibility and ability to begin making decisions and pulling triggers and all of that so very cool and exciting things but keep praying about this process too because there's still things that we have to get done with the the city there's things we have to put in place with all the different little organizations that be and so lots of moving parts in the current time but exciting times as people are being generous as God's being generous very exciting all the way around so great awesome successes to be celebrating it is super rad now with that said which is very cool there is a reality about our lives in general and why the topic of the day is what it is and it's the reality that while there are great successes that we get to celebrate in life not all of life is a series of successes In fact, in our lives, what we know is oftentimes we can have struggles with and challenges when it comes to the topic of failure, right? Because there are mistakes that we make, there are oversteps that we have, there's miscalculations that get underway in our life, there are things that we go, man, why did I do that? And it brings grief and sadness to our own hearts. That's the stuff that we want to work through how to dig out of this morning, And I think it's good that we're doing this one today in light of what we did last week because they're related. Now, if you weren't here or you didn't get a chance to listen, don't worry, you can catch up and it won't throw off things for today. But last week was all about healing from hurt, right? Where somebody's brought a wound into our life and we have to work through the bitterness and get to forgiveness and and just the challenge that's there. Well, today is the flip side of that coin, Because when it comes to the topic of failure, so often the reason we have to work through and heal from our hurts is because there's somebody in our life that has failed us. And as we shared last week, oftentimes we can be the source of other people's hurt, and that means we are the source of the failure, or we are the person that is engaged in some type of failure that has brought pain in the life of another person. 
Now, not all failures hurt others. Some failures are just things that happen, and you just go, oh, drives me crazy. Other failures are things that when you fail, maybe it didn't hurt a person, but it wounded you inside, and you're now working through the limp of your own failure. So not all failures have victims, or maybe we're the only victims of our failures, but, but again, it leaves us needing to work through those things and learn to dig out. And so that's the heart of the day. Now, one of the things we've been doing in this series is providing notes that function as tools. And so inside our app are a series of notes. And, and while you might take those notes today, which is awesome, we've had an increase in note usage in this series. I love that. Uh, you can also use it as a tool for the future. So when you come into a time where you're like, man, I really stepped in it. I, I need to remember what to do about my failure. You can go back to these notes and see that. That's the heart behind that. So if you want to follow along in the notes today, that is fantastic. But I want to pray this morning because I know in talking about something like this, we all have different wounds that we may deal with. We all have things where we still may be in the middle of a failure that has kind of blown up our world, and it can be really tender and sensitive. And so I want to give a space to just silently pray for a moment. And then after that, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump right into the topic of the day. So let's go ahead and take a moment together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of grace and forgiveness. You are the God who, as we see in the book of Hebrews, says, I understand your weaknesses. Uh, you know, I, I understand the, the human frailty nature of things. And from that, you can come to my throne and you can find grace and forgiveness in the midst of your need and failures. And so we come as that kind of people. We come looking for not only the grace that forgives, but the grace that it strengthens us to go and live differently in our lives. And we ask for that grace today to help us navigate, to get tools for learning and growing, and in that to become better versions of what you have made us to be in yourself. And so we thank you for the opportunity today. I pray that you will take our hearts on a journey by way of your spirit so that we can again grow into uh, your image in this world. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your love, and we pray these things in your good name. Amen. All right, so quick on-site polling data. This is not scientific. This is anecdotal, but I'm curious. If in this room you have ever failed, please raise your hand. 100% failure rate. I love this. This is perfect, all right? This is the right crowd. We are the fellowship of the failure. All right, so this is going to be awesome because it's a topic that we all have struggled with, and we've struggled with it in all sorts of ways. You know, I was thinking about it in my own life as a kid. I remember vividly one of my first real big failures was second grade, right? Like, I literally failed second grade. How do you do that? I don't know, but I did it, right? So it's like, got to the end, everybody gets their little report card, and in the bottom it says, you're going on to third grade, right? I get there, I get on the bus, I show my friend, and he's like, bro, <laughs> you're not going to third grade. I'm like, what? Why? Ends up because I missed like 87 days of school that year, all right? So my family was a mess. There was challenging things, whatever else. And so I failed second grade. That was the first of a series of great and epic fails throughout my growing up life. And so it's good to then work through failure. Now, now, in this, there's a lot of different ways this talk could have went. 
So in one sense, we could have kind of looked at this whole idea of saying, you know what, uh, some of us are never going to take the steps we need to because we're too afraid that we will fail, so we don't live up to our potential, we don't chase our dreams, whatever it is. That's a worthy talk. That's not the talk today. Or we could talk about how failure is oftentimes the catalyst and key to innovation and success. And so we could tell the Edison story about repeated failures until he figured out how to do the light bulb. And that's a very cool talk, but that's not the talk today either. The talk today really is squared up in this space of saying, we all do things that are wrong. Or we do things that are broken. Or we do things that generate regret or pain in the lives of others. It's those debilitating things or those regretful things that we want to center on, how we may fail, fail others or God or our, ourselves. And from that, how we have to work through the anguish and the burden and the regret that comes from all of that, right? So it's when you let a loved one down. Like, that's what we're kind of talking about today. Or you don't live up to your own expectations for life, and you under kind of deliver on your own values. Or where you actually betray your morals. You betray your beliefs. You betray your faith. Whatever it is, that's our topic of the day, where our humanness smacks us in the face. And says, you did not live up to what it is you set out to do. From that, the question is really, how do we dig out of that kind of stuff? Well, to do this, I want to peel back the layers a little bit, right? So I, I tried to do that throughout the series. Like, hey, let's understand what we're coping with. And then from that, what are some practical tools that we can use to move forward in a different way? And so I want to start, if you're following along with the notes this morning, in this first particular point, the facets of failure. Because I think there are different facets. There are different variations. There are different forms. In other words, we have all sorts of opportunity in which to fail. Right? The landscape is very wide open when we can make mistakes in life. And so we have a series of failures I want to walk through. The first is probably a more popular one. It's moral failure. And moral failures in our lives are those things where we had an ethical standard... We said, this, this is what I, I seek to do in life. And then for whatever series of reasons, we crossed the line on that bar, right? We, we went past it in the sand, and from that, we're dealing with the consequence of that. So a moral failure is something like, I promised to love, honor, and cherish. I was going to be faithful to my spouse, and then I stepped over the line and I cheated. I cheated physically. I cheated digitally. I cheated emotionally. I swore I never would, but I did. That is an ethical failure. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to be an honest person. I'm not going to lie. But then you do something at work, and you know it's going to get you busted, and you're trying to cover it up. So you lie about that thing, but then eventually you get caught. That's that thing. Or maybe, like I've known in my own life, there was a season I was very legalistic, very judgmental of other Christians. I was always deciding who's saved, who's not saved, because apparently I'm the Holy Spirit and I can do that. And so I had this tone about me of judgment. Why did they do that and they do that? Why did they struggle with that? Because when you're 25, you're idealistic and perfect, right? And then what happened is I did those very same things. And, and suddenly it's like, oh, wait, I, I, there before the grace of God go, I, I have the same problem. That's, that's a moral failure of some kind. And they can be big, they can be small, but all of them are moral. You also have the spiritual failures, right? And the spiritual failures are those things where you're like, I'm going to be committed to my faith. I'm going to be faith-filled, faithful. I'm going to drive this thing home. And then for whatever set of reasons, you get distracted, you get off the rails, and pretty soon you're like, oh man, I'm not making it to church like I really want to. I know it's good, but I'm not making it happen. 
I know I said I was going to be really devoted to all the things that make for a robust Christian life, but I'm not making it happen. In fact, if anything, what I'm starting to do is let other stuff fill up my schedule, other stuff fill up my time, other stuff fill up my mind, and now God is like third, fourth, seventh, tenth in the list of priority. Those are the spiritual failures, and we struggle with those. You also have the situational failures. And these are less of a moral type and more often just those of a demoralizing type. Where it's not like you've done a wrong thing, but you've done a thing that was wrong for you. So you made a call at work that you thought was going to work out for the company or the business or whatever, and it was a bad call. And everybody's looking at you like, dude, you failed. Like, those are those situational failures. Or maybe you made a decision with your kids and you thought it was going to be in the best interest of your child, but only after the fact you realize that maybe that decision made things worse instead of better. You wanted to do the right thing, but you realize in hindsight maybe it was the wrong thing. Right? We all have situational failures. The next one is the toughest to me sometimes, which is relational failures. Where you wound people that are either close or even distant from you by way of the decisions you make or the words you say. So as a parent, maybe, you see your kids starting to do things that are breaking your heart and you worry about their future and you're just trying to protect them, but you begin to operate from fear and control. And so in fear, you put shackles on their lives. You don't trust them. You're constantly trying to control them and manhandle them. And then once they leave, they resent you and don't have much relationship with you. And you're like, wow, that was a relational failure. Those happen, right? Or maybe you were neglecting your spouse for years. You were wrapped up in the kids or you're wrapped up in the job or you're wrapped up in your hobbies or whatever else. And then one day your spouse comes to you and says, you know what, I'm done, it's finished. We've been distant for years. I'm calling it now. And you're like, no, let's fix it. And they're like, no, it's too late. I'm, I'm, I'm past that now. That's a, that's a relational failure. Or maybe it was just with a friend where you had some kind of falling out and you were spending so much time being bitter at what they did, you didn't make the investment to try to heal what had been broken, and from that, the, the relationship is just dissolved. It's irreconcilable at this point. Those are, those are the relational failures that we have, and those things, they hurt. And then last, you have the personal failures, right? Where you just keep punishing yourself, Right? Because you did a thing that you didn't want to do. You made a decision you didn't want to make. You didn't say centered. You didn't say mindful. You didn't say calm and controlled. You didn't say any of those things. Uh, but instead, you're like, man, I really, really blew it. I, I, I spoke up when I should have shut up. Or I shut up when I should have spoke up. Right? Maybe I shouldn't have gotten behind the wheel in that state. That really was a stupid move. I shouldn't have sent that text wrote that email. I shouldn't have lashed out in that particular fashion. I shouldn't have leveled that ultimatum. Why did I let my weight get out of control? Why did I let my addiction get out of control? Why did I let my spending get out of control? Why did I fill in the blank? Why did I let it get out of control? All of those are things where we sense personal failure. So all of these things play out in our lives. All of these things leave wounds in our lives. And so what we know is that there is plenty of regrets to go around because there's plenty of failures to claim. But when we're in that headspace and we're identifying those things, we need to remember that, hey, what this is the, the reality of is it's easy to be all too human, right? And in that humanness, these are the types of things that we do. 
I love what Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says. It says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. That's why we all raised our hand, right? We're all going to blow something. We're all going to fail in some particular way. I love what the the brother of Jesus says in James chapter 3. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Many mistakes. And, And think about him, his world. He grew up with Jesus as his big brother. So if you're benchmarking mistakes against somebody, imagine that being your brother. Like there's Mary. Jimmy, why don't you act more like your big brother? He never does anything wrong. Right? He's like, geez, mom, he's God. What do you want? You know, like, I don't know. But that would be a lot of pressure, right? To be around somebody that's perfect only highlights our own imperfections, right? And yet the good news is, I have it on really good authority that God loves to use people who fail. He loves to use people who fail. And you know why he uses people who fail? Because there's no other kind of people, right? There is no other variation. We're all in the same shared space together. And so today, we're not trying to figure out how do I prevent all future failures? That's not it. It's how do I navigate the failures that I face in such a way that they can be fruitful for my life and generate something better for the next time I'm in a a similar circumstance? Because there's always going to be a next time, but hopefully we can get better with the next time. Now, to tackle this a bit, I want to kind of remind us of this second thing in your notes. And this is really important as we move forward. The greatest failure is remaining frozen in your failure. We really want to talk about the most epic fail. The most epic fail is when you fail, you plant and fail for the rest of your life. That's the worst space. Now, when we read through the New Testament, um, we we come across uh, the great uh, opposition to a faithful life. And in this opposition, oftentimes we read this as kind of a proper noun, but in the proper noun, there's really a descriptor behind this. And so we're dealing with a person, but a person who operates in such a way that the descriptor of their disposition is sort of used as their name. You're like, where is he going with this? Well, it's simple things like Satan or the devil, right? Or, or Abaddon or Apollyon, right? In the kind of uh, end of the Bible, Abaddon and Apollyon are these words to describe the destroyer. Or the devil means he is the slanderer. Satan means he's the accuser or he desires to obstruct. So in our lives, when it comes to our failure, we have to understand that there is constantly a presence there that wants to double down on where we've blown it. And in that, they want to accuse, obstruct, slander, and destroy. What this means for us is the great threat isn't military might, it isn't economic collapse, it isn't social upheaval. The greatest danger is a psychological warfare where you have an unseen enemy that wants to capitalize on your failure and drive you home to prison in it. That's what he wants to do. And so he's going to look to exploit that in every conceivable way. It reminds me of the movie um, Inception. Have you ever saw that? Where it's the story of people who enter the dreams of other people, and their mission is to just implant a single simple idea that changes the course of their life. They just get haunted by a concept, and it drives them in a different direction. And I think that's exactly what the enemy wants to do in our own lives. So we do something, and he wants to plant the seed, not of you failed, but your failure makes you a failure. So uh, there's a difference between saying I failed and 
I'm a failure. See, one identifies a thing that we did, but the other wants to say, that's your identity now, right? And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to trap you in an identity that says, it's irreversible, you're a failure. And if you ever grew up with a parent that would say that to you, you're just a failure. Man, that is a deep wound. That will drive the course of your life. To say you failed just says, hey, there is an event that happened. How do we fix it? But to say you're a failure says that's your very essence in person, and that will put you in a prison. That will freeze you in that state of mistake. You don't want to be there. More than that, you want to reject that kind of notion because that kind of notion is a lie. The Bible says Satan is the father of lies, and even if you have failures, don't buy the lie that that now defines your existence, your person, and your future. Don't stay stuffed in that cell. I want you to remember the wisdom of a guy who was very smart and failed a lot and was the child of a man who was very strong and failed a lot. Proverbs 24 comes from the mind and mouth of Solomon. He says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. I think that's so valuable. And here's why it's valuable. I, I love this little passage for two reasons. Uh, kind of in the way we understand the Bible, the number seven is kind of just this idea of fullness. It represents a fullness. And so part of what Solomon's saying is, we're really good at falling. Seven times means we have a full capacity to fall and fall often. We make many mistakes, as James said. But there's also a promise and a reminder of getting up. So we don't have to stay fallen. We can rise again. And so from that, let's look at the path to failing upward and forward. The path to failing upward and forward, which is so valuable because I know in my own life there's been times where I failed and I want to fail backward and downward. Woe is me. I need to punish myself. I'm such a failure. Right? And then the devil's like, that's right, keep saying that to yourself. How much you're a failure, that's who you are. It's not what you did, it's who you are. Right? And you go, no, I don't want to do that. I want to take this path. I want to fail forward, upward. Now, I know as kids, none of us ever said, when I grow up, I want to fail. Right? I get that. Like, we have an aversion to it. We don't like the reality of it, but it's a reality. And in light of this reality, what we need to do is say, you know what failure is in our lives? It's fertilizer. It's crappy when you're dealing with it. It stinks in the middle of it. But if you embrace it, if you allow it to do its thing, it will let you grow, right? That's what failure was going to do. But we have to go, go through this path, this process, right? So it requires critical steps. The first step is this. When it comes to the things we do where we go, why did I do this? You gotta address your failure. You actually have to address it. And, and what I mean by that is you need to name it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to downplay it, right? Like politicians, they go, I had some regretful actions, right? Like they just like, let's not call it out for what it is. Or they'll say, it was a lapse in judgment. Like you're right, laundering money and cheating on your spouse is a lapse in judgment. But let's call those things what they are as opposed to a lapse in judgment. Very quotable, but not very useful. No, what I'm saying is you engage it concretely. So, I failed, right? You're acknowledging that. And then you're listing your thing. I looked at porn and it hurt my spouse. You're naming it. You're, you're, you're having the sense of, I'm, I'm really going to identify the thing. 
Or I got drunk. I wasn't tipsy. I got drunk and then I said stupid things and it wounded my kid or it wounded my spouse or it wounded my friend because I was out of control. See, that's the idea of naming it. I was self-righteous. I was condescending before I had all the facts. I had already decided my friend was guilty of a thing when I didn't even know for sure what had happened. I was afraid I would get reprimanded. So I changed the incident report. I mean, it's any number of things, right, that we can be open and honest about with our own lives, but that's the key. You gotta be open and honest. And and when you do that, not only is it healthy, not only is it right, not only, only is it confronting our offenses in a way that really kind of identifies the offenses, but it's also for your own good. It's healthy for your soul. In fact, Psalm 32 He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body was wasting away and I groaned all day long, right? So just that sense of like regretfulness can haunt you. Or or you know you've hurt another and so you regret, maybe not always your own offense, which is a thing to work through in and of itself, but sometimes you just have a regret how much it hurt another person for what you did. He says, day and night your hand disciplined me, and this is God's hand, and it was heavy on him. Says my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat, but finally I confessed all of my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt, right? I had regretful actions. Now, like, I did X, and I did it big and bold and recklessly. I did X. From this, they said, I will say to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. Now, again, like I said, not all failures are sins. But most failures have regrets, and so there's a relationship. It's like a cousin to that idea. But here what we see is not only is it a healthy thing to come to the conclusion of, I want to nail this down, but it's a therapeutic thing. Like, it can just relieve the level of guilt or shame that we feel from the thing that we've done. See, I see this idea of calling out what I've really done in the story of the prodigal son. Love that story, right? We all know it kid decides that he wants to go do his own thing comes to his dad and says I wish you were dead so I could have your money and the dad's like I'll just give you the money and I don't have to die to do that kid takes the money goes and does all kinds of crazy stuff and then he realizes wait I'm not just rock bottom I'm eating the slop of pig's bottom that's bottom and from that it says when he finally came to his senses he said to himself I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned both against, both against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, this is more than I'm coming home and saying, there was a series of regretful actions, but how about I just go ahead and start running the farm with you again, Dad? No, he has this sense of self-realization. I was wrong. I was selfish. I was sinful. I'm not worthy of my station based on what I did, right? So can I just work for you? At best, can I work for you? Like, that's the heart of naming it, right? Don't try to deflect it. Don't try to excuse out of it. You name it. After you name it, it's the next thing. You want to assess it. You want to own whatever the failure is. In other words, you want to stop and say, okay, I'm going to ask questions of this thing that I did. Like, why did I do it? What was my headspace that led up to it, right? If I had it to do over again, what would be a better way to do it? I'll tell you which one is really painful. Start, start really working through, how did I hurt others around me because I did it? Start working through their pain with real empathy. 
Like, oh, they feel uh, distrusted or they feel uh, violated or they feel unsafe now because they're not sure I'm going to make good decisions going forward. Like, that can be a really painful thing when you're really working through, like, oh, I, I created a crater in, in, in the world of the people I care about, and, and I, I want to really understand how it had an impact on them. A deeper layer in that is beginning to understand this may be very hard for them to overcome, and that's on me. They may not trust well again, and that's on me. They may now have to go to a therapist or a psychologist because I've done a thing that's negatively impacted them. You, you need to work through it at that level. That's ownership. So it's taking the failure and putting it in front of you and just really studying it like an authentic scientist. How does it work? Why does it work? What did I do? What did I do wrong? What can I do right? That's assessing it because that's a part of owning it. So you name it, and then from that, you begin to work it through. You don't name it and then move on from it. That's the temptation. Oh, I did X. Can we all get past it now? It doesn't quite work that way in the real world, right? Now you need to process it, you need to analyze it, and you need to absorb the full range of the consequences that may stem from it. And there's reasons for this. One is so you can lament what you did. You know, lament is a super important thing in the Christian life. It's important to all of life, uniquely the Christian life. Eventually down the road, I'm going to go through lamentations as a church just to remind us lament is a healthy thing. So you want to analyze it so you can lament it. You also want to analyze it so you can lament those who are hurt by it. So you can hurt for them and with them. But you also do it so you can learn deeply from it. Proverbs chapter 15, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Right? That's really what this is all about. It's the process of processing. Say that again. It's the process of processing. Because in doing that, that's how we learn, that's how we grow. It reminds me of what sports teams do the day after a game. Whether they won, whether they lost, what do they do? They all look at the tape. They look at the footage of the game. That's what they do. So this last week, second preseason game, the Seahawks sat down. Probably they're going to do it technically tomorrow, and they're going to see we were awful. They're going to watch the footage and be like, in every phase of the game, offense, defense, special teams, we sucked. That's what they're going to see in that tape. It's terrible. But here's what they're not doing. They're not sitting around and watching the tape so they can simply say, hey, you stink, man, you stink, you stink too. We, you, we all stink, and that's it. It doesn't just stop there. No, they assess it, they process it, they learn from it so that they don't do the same thing again. But you have to go through that journey. And it can be painful to do that. But it is the process of then really grappling with these things. And so you address, you assess, and from that, then you're gonna be equipped for the next thing, and that is to confess to confess your failures, and that means admitting it. And when I say this, here's what I'm not saying. It doesn't mean saying, I'm sorry. Or, we cool, right? It's a great one. You know, I'm sorry, bro. Like, uh, you know, my bad. Chill? Or the best one, I'm sorry your feelings were hurt, right? I'm sorry you felt that way. Which is so bizarre, because you so are just putting it back on them, like, ah, this is a you problem, not a me problem. Even I did the thing that created the problem. Right? That's the risk there. That's the problem there. No, this idea means you've done homework, right? 
You've done the homework. I've called it out for what it is. I've worked through all the implications of why I did it, who it impacted, why it's a painful thing. I've done that homework. And now I'm coming to the person who I affected with that homework in hand to say, I know exactly why you're hurt. Because what I did was hurtful. I know exactly why you struggle with trust. You struggle with fidelity. You struggle with whatever it is. I understand because, man, I worked this through and I was really, really in error. I was really wrong, insensitive, unthoughtful, untrustworthy, whatever it is. You've, you've processed the stuff. You see the magnitude of the mistake. That, that's the, the essence here. Right? Because here's the thing we want to remember about the other. The other that's infected, affected by what we do it's really much harder for them than actually for you sometimes. Right? It's going to take them longer to heal. The wounds may run deeper. And, and so we just want to understand that, uh, that what we're trying to do in this is help them to get that we get it and we want to fix it. Now under this, I think there's three parties that we tend to have to do this with. The first is the obvious one. You need to confess your failure to those you've let down. Right? Your kids, your spouse, your friends your church, your network, whatever it might be, your boss, your coworkers. Jesus speaks to this in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, verse 21 says, uh, You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to the judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court, which means we're all going to court. I've called many people idiots. Right? This is that if you curse someone, you're in the danger of the fires of hell itself. And so from saying this, he gives an illustration, an example. He says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar of the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Right? We sometimes read this passage of, then you remember somebody has done something to you, and you want to go address how they did it to you. That's not what he's saying here. What this says is, you're coming to give worship, you're coming to give praise, you're coming to give a sacrifice for your sins, whatever it is, and when you get there, you realize, oh, you know what? I've hurt people. People have something against me because I have failed them. He says, man, drop your gift there, go and fix it. Right? Don't wait. Stop mid-worship and go fix it. That's what is this idea of confessing. So you don't want to ignore it. You don't want to downplay it. You don't want to rationalize it away like, well, I could, but it's been so long. And it's, you know, they've probably forgotten. No, they've not forgotten, right? They probably painfully remember. And so you want to address it, assess it, and confess it. Now, like I said earlier, in doing this, when you come to a person, you need to realize that you may do that, and they're not ready to accept that. You may say, yep, I cheated, I lied, I gossiped, I whatever. And they may say, you know what? Thanks for that, but I'm not ready to forgive you. What you need to do when that happens is be okay with that. Because you went through a process to get to the point of confessing it to them. They need to go through a process of truly forgiving you. That's just natural. So don't be like, hey, I asked for their forgiveness and they won't forgive. Now they're the problem. No, give them space. Because like I said, I've dealt with many occasions in people's lives where there was failure and somebody was hurt. And the person that tends to do the failing can get past things much faster than the person who has failed. Right? Like I've dealt with that like in infidelity and other things. Can't we just stop? I, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Can we just move on? But the person that feels cheated on is not like, sure, you're right. You're cool. I'm cool. We're cool. No, that could be lifelong. That could develop over years. And there's many things like that. 
distrust in parental relationships, distrust in friendships, whatever else. So it just takes time. I mean, granted, asking for forgiveness is hard, but genuinely forgiving, that's, that's even harder. So we have to give space and time and grace when we confess to those we've harmed. The second party we sometimes need to make right with things is God himself, right? Confess your failure to God when you let him down. The Bible calls this sin. And sin often becomes a shame word, which drives me crazy, because sin means to miss the mark or to cross a line. And when you put it that way, we all go, yeah, I miss marks, I cross lines all the time. That's kind of the plight of the human condition, right? But, but when we do that and we go to God, the great thing is, unlike human beings who have to work through forgiveness, God doesn't have to work it through, right? So we don't go to God and say, God, I failed, forgive me. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna try to, but I gotta go talk to my counselor first and then my therapist and then my cousin and then I'll come back and let you know if I got there. Now God, unlike us, is like, man, I, I, I'm in this to forgive. I love to forgive. Again, going back to Psalm 32 that we read earlier, Right, where the person was like, man, I was grappling and guilty and I, I didn't want to confess, but then I decided to confess. It's that same section. And it starts in verse one. It says, oh, what joy for those who, whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived completely honestly, which is so freeing, right? No secrets, nothing in the shadows, no skeletons in the closet. It says, finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me all, all, underline all, all means all, all my guilt is gone. See, this is why just as sin gets a a nasty label because people kind of weaponize it to point a finger, you sinners. The same thing with repentance and confession. It gets weaponized, like, you need to repent. Like, like, like we all don't, you know? No, this is a liberating and beautiful life-giving word. It brings refreshing to the stressing that we have from forgiveness through being forgiven for failure. Now, does this mean the consequences are gone from our failures? No, not always. Consequences can linger, but what this tells us is that the condemnation for our failure, that's gone. There may be consequences, but the condemnation is gone, and we and our failures are fully forgiven. And the reason that's the case is because of all of the parties in our life, God is the most faithful forgiver. He's the most faithful forgiver. You want to know who the most unfaithful forgiver is probably in your life? You. You are probably the most unfaithful forgiver. Thus, it's number three. Sometimes what you need to do is confess your failure to yourself for letting yourself down. Right? Sometimes we feel like, no, I got to punish myself more. I got to hold on to this for a while. I have the struggle of being terribly self-critical. Right? Just me personally. In fact, recently I had confided in my wife. I said, you know, I've realized something about my prayer life. The mass majority of it is, God, I'm sorry for failing you. Right? Like I'm constantly, and here's how weird it is, right? I'll do something, I'm like, man, I failed God. And I'll go to God, I'm like, God, I sinned, I was wrong, I failed you. And then about like eight hours later, I'm like, God, forgive me, I sinned, I'm wrong, I failed you for the same thing. And then the next day, I'm still on it, and two days later, I'm still on it, and I'll ask like 17 times, God, forgive me for this failure. And he's like, bro, dude, listen, the first time was enough. 
but I feel this need. No, I need to keep inflicting the pain of my failure, and I can't accept that God has forgiven me for the things that I've done. And maybe that's you. you go, I can't forgive myself for how my kids turned out. I thought I was doing good. I ended up doing harm, and I just can't bring myself to forgive myself. Or I did things that really wounded the people I love, and I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself for my addiction. I can't forgive myself for my mistake. Well, I don't know the thing, but I know our nature tends to struggle with this. We struggle to forgive ourselves even though God has forgiven us. Well, when we struggle with this, I want you to remember the words of Paul in Galatians 5. He says, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law, 613 commands, big chunk of the Bible, the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you always are biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware, lest you are destroying one another. Now, I love this passage, but right now you might be going like, and what does that have to do with forgiving myself? Like, what's the correlation there? Let's slow it down. What's the key? Paul says, you've been freed, and use your freedom to love your neighbor. But what's the the, the thing that you benchmark off of to love your neighbor? What's he say? You love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this connection In that the inability to properly love yourself will limit your capacity to love others around you. And what's the opposite of love in this particular section? Well, Paul tells us you'll begin to bite and devour and to destroy. So if the opposite of love is biting, devouring, and destroying, and you're supposed to benchmark loving others off of how there is a love inside self in this weird way that I don't fully understand, what that tells me is if we are biting and devouring and destroying ourselves internally with our own kind of self-punishing words, we are going to violate part of the essence of what this is all about. Because there are self-destructive traits here that can be self-inflicted. Right? And so that's just true to our person. So here, here's what I'm not quite saying, but sort of saying. I know like Brene Brown would be like, you just have to practice self-love, you know? And we go, oh, there's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. No, the Bible actually says that too. But I want to be clear where it derives from. It isn't like just some kind of uh, ethereal, I just got to find self-love. No, it's being reminded of the fact that you bear the image of God. And God loves his image, and he loves his image in you, and he loves you. And if you realize all of that, then you should in and of yourself say, God loves me. And yes, I am called to love myself too because he loves me. And from that, I can love other people more effectively. But if I don't do this in me, I'm not going to do this for them. And ultimately, it undermines him. Right? This is so embedded into the concept, so it's not just some kind of hippie concept for our psychology. It's actually something we are instructed to do. And so from that, we need to confess our sins to ourselves, forgive ourselves because God has forgiven us. Don't hold on to things that God says, I've cast that away, man. East, west, gone. Stop drugging it out again. It's, it just don't, it's, it's a failure to do that. If you keep doing that, that's an epic fail. Don't keep bringing it to the surface when it's been wiped clean. Once you've done all of this, you're ready for the final thing, to progress beyond your failure. In other words, bounce back better from it, right? Bounce back better than the time before from these things because you've learned something really, really valuable. 
So then live out what you've learned. Don't end up in just the first three points in an endless cycle, right? I named it, I kind of analyzed it, I confessed it, and then I did the same dumb stuff again, right? And you just wash, rinse, repeat. Don't, don't do that. You want to go to this fourth stage. I love what God says to Jeremiah. He says, when people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they have done things are wrong and they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? That's the begging question. And the answer is, sometimes. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they, they change things. But the underlying idea is, and they have the ability and the power to do that. Right? In fact, I would say it this way. Don't waste perfectly good failure. Right? Don't waste it. Like, I failed. Mm, chalk it up. Put another, like, like, little hash on my belt of fails. No, don't waste it. Use it. Learn from it. Leverage it. Live different because of it. Take that failed fecal matter, right? And use it as fertilizer. Life-giving fertilizer to change things. Hebrews 12. No discipline is enjoyable when it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in its way. See, it's painful in the moment, but it can teach you to live differently. That's why you want to pick up, move on, and do things better than you did before. So you can grow in faithfulness, you can grow in forgiveness, and you can grow in fullness. I close not simply with a reminder, but a promise, and it has to do with the good news for life's failures. The good news for life's failures is found in 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, and we're not living in the truth. If we say, I haven't crossed any lines, I haven't missed any marks, no, we've all done it. But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all adikia. Adikia is this idea of not being just, not living rightly, inflicting harm. He will be faithful to forgive all the ways we've done that. And in forgiving us, he also fuels us to do this all different. Now, right now, I want to invite everybody to bow their heads. And as you do, I, I, I just want to give an encouragement to different parties in the room. I think to the party that says, man, I'm following Jesus, and yeah, I've made some mistakes. I'm following Jesus, and there's some hidden mistakes right now that if anybody knew, it would be devastating to the people that I love, or I've had mistakes that I've done, and I'm still picking up the pieces of those things. I just want to encourage you of that process. Name it. Work it through. Confess it, and then live differently from that. Like, God will be faithful in those things. It doesn't mean the consequences are all remedied, but it means he will be faithful in those things because you're facing those consequences in grace and faith and, and desiring him to work. And so maybe for you today, it's simply that you go, I just need to, to just push all of that stuff out and really begin to address it and follow the pathway forward. I just want you to know, even though I don't know your story, maybe who might have that burden, I'm praying for you in that because I know that space. And then there's those who are watching or maybe in this room today where you're like, I don't follow Jesus and I've had a lot of failures and I feel like maybe Jesus is the solution to my failures. I'm like, I want to double down on that and say he is the solution to your failures. That's why he came. That's why he lived. It's why he died. It's why he rose to forgive our failures and launch us into a new way of life. And if you want to know that life in him, that's a prayer way where you say, Jesus, forgive me. I've crossed the line. I've missed the mark. I, I failed. 
but you succeeded and I want my life to be found in you because life is better with you and life is richer with you and I want to walk with you. You make it your prayer and your way. He hears you and brings you into the family. Jesus, I thank you so much for the tremendous grace and forgiveness you show us. We don't deserve it, but you give it. You're patient with us and kind toward us and we thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in your good name. Amen. Just real quick, if you made that your prayer to say, I want to follow Jesus, uh, there is a number up here on the screen. You can simply text that. You know, I decided to follow Jesus today. Text it to that number or in our app. There's a tile, and on that tile, there's a whole section about, I decided to follow Jesus today. Let us know who you are. We want to know. We want to reach out to you. Say, welcome to the family. Here's some ways to begin your journey, because we're stoked when we hear about those things. But man, let us know, and for the rest of us, let us continue to press on faithfully, because Jesus is faithful to us.